much today for his presence. Thank you, worship team, for leading us into the stronger sense of the presence of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Appreciate that. At the end of this service, uh, after I finish preaching, I should say, the worship team will be coming back, and I'll be inviting you to the front if you have any special needs that you came with today or in response to the message. Uh, just a dedication time. And those that are normally a part of the prayer at the altar, the board, the prayer team, uh, staff, if you're available, then you can help at that time. Amen. Let's be seated. Thank you, worship team, once again. Appreciate that. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> a month ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would be saying Happy New Year from Scarborough. <laughs> I never know where I'm going to be, but wasn't thinking about here for sure. Anyway, it's good to be here with you, and greetings from Pastor Robert and Carolyn. Uh, I know they're in the sunny south, but it wasn't too bad the last couple of days here, was it? <laughs> it sure beats last year. You know, last year I was in Timmins doing this kind of ministry transition, and it was minus 40, and so uh, this was just like being in Florida to me. <laughs> well, my wife Kathy and I are happy to be here with you today, and uh as well, Pastor Robert sends his greetings, as I already mentioned. I've known him for a number of years. Uh, he helped me when I was a regional director in Western District and filled in a number of churches for all of us and did a great job. We just appreciate him so much. I've never known him to be somebody that exaggerates, but when he told me about you, I thought, no, they can't be that nice, you know. But so far, you're living up to his word, so I can't say he's even an exaggerator. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to getting to know you and working with the staff and uh, preparing for the next lead pastor. Amen? And uh, my goal is basically to prepare for that and to let's get, uh, we're not in a holding mode here. We're just going to get keep on building on the momentum until the new pastor comes and we'll be firing in all cylinders ready for some direction. Amen? Hallelujah. So, the last three years have been something else, haven't they? We're sad years for, a lot, tough years for a lot of us. We didn't plan to go to the place we've been since about 2020. And so next week, I want to share a message about going to an unplanned place at an unplanned pace. <laughs> but today, I thought, and I thought it would start off with that message. It was just burning in my heart. What a great time. New Year's and all of that. But I felt in my heart it was important for you to get to know me a little bit better and also a little bit about the ministry, but also to inspire you uh, to continue on and you're seeking the Lord. And so this message is not just so you can get to know me better, but it will help you to know me a little bit better anyway. So my message today is entitled, When Dreams Come True. And some of you that are sitting there today, I know, have dreams for what you would like to see God do in Warden uh, Full Gospel Assembly. Amen? I believe you have dreams for what you'd like to see God do in your family and friends and neighborhood. Probably priority, what God wants to do in your life. So we have these dreams, and I believe that they are possible with God's help to see fulfilled. And I want to share with you a few stories that I have seen happen before my eyes, personally experienced, where dreams came true for those that were in prayer and trusting God 
for deliverance. We're going to start off with uh, Psalm 126. Uh, Psalms, there's 150 of them, right? And you, you put them all together. It's like they put them in a bag, shook them up, and uh, Moses, who wrote the first one, ended up at number 90. So they're not in historical, chronological order. So I'm going to look at 126 first of all. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes to Zion, which is Jerusalem, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. And they responded, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Now we're going to come back to that. But to set the setting, uh, set the stage for that particular psalm, we need to go back in time but ahead in the scriptures to 137. 137 is a psalm that talks about a sad time for the people of Judah. The ten tribes have been scattered by now to all parts of the earth. Judah had remained faithful but then became unfaithful. Jeremiah the prophet and many others said, God is going to send you in captivity if you do not change. Finally, Jeremiah said, you're going to be there for 70 years. And other prophets said similar type things. So this is a psalm that tells the story about them being taken by the Babylonians from the land of Israel, particularly Jerusalem, and brought to the land of Babylon. And they crossed these rivers, these great rivers, Tigris, Euphrates, etc. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon... We sat and we wept when we remembered Jerusalem. There on the poplars we hung all our musical instruments, basically, all our harps. For there our captors, the, the, the Babylonians, asked us for songs of jo- songs. In other words, they heard about all these Jewish people and their, their happy songs, their triumphant songs, you know, going through the Red Sea and the Jericho walls falling down, and who knows what other great songs they sang about their great God. And it says, for they, they, they asked us for these songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said to the Jews, come on, you Jews, why don't you sing us one of those happy songs, you know? You're such a strong, happy people, and your God is so great. And look at us, we've captured you, right? So they're making fun of them, basically. And their response was, how can we sing a song of the Lord while we are in this captive land? Basically, they said, we're in Babylon. We're in prison. How can we possibly sing a song of the Lord? So there at the rivers of Babylon, I know it's poetry, but there was something that happened in their hearts when they crossed that last river and they remembered the words of the prophets that said, you will be taken into captivity. For there they sat and they wept And there was nothing to sing about. It was a sad time for the people of Jerusalem, Judah, Israel. The books of Esther, Nehemiah, Ezra, uh, they give us some kind of a hint of the way of life. Daniel does as well. Psalm 137 is about the people crossing this last river into the land of bondage called Babylon. And it says their captors said, come on, let's, why don't you entertain us with one of those happy celebratory songs and it says that when they were in the promised land or in Babylon pardon me in Babylon that they wept a lot they cried out to God God set us free Jeremiah the prophet said in chapter 29 recorded in our Bible this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed 
for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to Jerusalem. God said, 70 years is a long time. And then God says in the next few verses, I have plans for you that will blow your mind. Plans not to harm you, but to bless you and to give you a great future. That was God's plan for them. In 70 years, we're going to pick up where we left off, so to speak. And so he says, I will bring you back from captivity. That was the promise. And so that they say, okay, let's just mark time for 70 years. No, they prayed. You watch Daniel's prayers. He prayed and they prayed and they sat and they wept. And they kept on weeping and saying, God set us free. Change your mind about the 70 years. Make it 70 months or seven months or something. I'm not sure what they prayed. Isaiah the prophet also promised them that they wouldn't be in Babylon or the land of captivity forever. But instead, he said, Jerusalem, it shall be inhabited again. And he said of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Seventy years of Babylonian and Medes and Persians, and finally just the Persians, held the people of Judah and Israel in captivity. About 606 B.C., the first captives were taken, including Daniel in the third year of Jehoiakim. We read that in the first chapter of Daniel. Seventy years later, this Persian king has it in his heart to be kind to Israel, the Israelites and the Jews, I should say. And he said to them, you can go back. I'll pay your way. And it says in Ezra 1 and 1 that he issued a decree and said the people of Israel are allowed to go back to their, to their land they are allowed to rebuild their, their city of Jerusalem and all that goes with it. Isn't that a marvelous thing that happened? Who would have thought Cyrus, <laughs> the king of Persia, would let them go? And that's why it said, then it was said among the nations, they scratched their head and said, what has happened to Cyrus? Has he lost his mind? Why is he letting these stubborn, troublemaking people go back and rebuild their city? But that's what happened. And when the nations looked at this in awe and they said, look what the Lord has done for them, their response was, yeah, the Lord has done it. Even the people that were outside looking in said, this wasn't the Jewish people. Nehemiah was not that good of a negotiator. This was God. Amen? And I believe that what God wants to do in Warden Gospel Assembly is a work that regardless of how wonderful the next pastor and the staff presently are, that and, and the rest of you, that people will say, look what God is doing at Word and Full Gospel Assembly. And you will say, yes, we know, all glory to God, it was the Lord. And that's the goal that we have as we pray, amen, that our dreams will come true for Word and Full Gospel Assembly. So the song was sung. I told you that over the years, in my ministry as a regional director from 1999 on, uh, that I was involved uh, with various churches. One of my responsibilities was to work with First Nation people. And I'm talking about First Nation communities that are a little further away from here than Florida is, okay? <laughs> I was in Fort Severn this year. If you want to go to Fort Severn, it's about 2,500 kilometers from here. The Florida state line is around 1,800 kilometers. So you could take 1,800 kilometers from here, go to Sioux Lookout, then you fly 731 kilometers to 
Port Severn. I had a picture I was going to throw in. I'll tell you about it for a second. It's a picture of a couple of guys that I know in Port Severn, and they go out in this kind of weather while it's a lot colder up there, and they hunt caribou for the village. And when it happens when you get eight caribou and it's 40 below zero, and you got to skin them and butcher them and all of that. So I have a picture of their mother's living room, and they have covered the floor up the walls with this wrap to protect the carpet that was in there, and they have stacks of antlers and piles of steaks and roast right in the living room. <laughs> it's an amazing picture. You have to see it to believe it. That's life in Fort Severn. So I did visit a lot of these places just this fall. Uh, once again, I still do it as a liaison for the District of Western Ontario. In 1999, the first place that I visited was a place called Deer Lake. Deer Lake is on the Manitoba border, and you need to fly there either from Red Lake or Sioux Lookout to get there. And uh, this was a place that I had only heard about. We had supported a home missionary some time ago when I was pastoring in, an, in a church in Cardin. And we, pastored, uh, we sponsored a pastor, and we gave him $50 a month and thought that we were doing something nice. And then I went to Deer Lake, and I found that there was a congregation that for years had been praying. You see in the next picture, the church that uh, they had, that's the church. If you were to look inside, it's rougher on the inside than the outside. It was 40 below zero when I was there the first time. And on the inside, I don't have a picture here, but they had a 45-gallon drum, and in that they put their wood and their musical instruments that were in 40 below zero soon became almost 40 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> you know, it was that, or not Fahrenheit, uh, Celsius. But that's Deer Lake. For many years, they prayed in Deer Lake, and they said, oh God, we need a building, but we can hardly support a pastor without outside help, Lord. And they prayed and prayed for years that God would move in the community of Deer Lake. And in 1999, when I got there, that old building was still there, but beside it was this next building that had been built with the volunteer help from First Nation churches and other churches in Ontario as they got together and built this building to the glory of God, and their dream came true. Just to give you a little bit of an idea, the next picture will tell you what the pastor's house was like. Now, this is Canada. This is Ontario, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> when... Uh, fellow, one of the pastors said, I visited there and you really can see the stars at night through the couple of holes in the roof. And so when I was there, I was able to see a new home, as you can see in the next one, that was delivered by Winter Road. The Winter Roads are on for about two months a year. It was trailed up there, put down uh, when they brought up some of the materials. So the dreams came true. And I was there for the grand opening and it was a great time of celebration. There were all kinds of kids there. There was a couple that came to be the youth pastor, and they were uh, just a blessing to that community. And while we were there in Deer Lake, there was a couple from another community called Cat Lake, and they had to dream. <laughs> they just wanted a church. If you go to Deer Lake, there are three or four churches, and they're good churches. But in Cat Lake, there was one church. I'm not saying it wasn't a good church, but this couple came when... The picture is actually in Deer Lake. And they came to me and said, uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing, we, we see what you did here in Deer Lake. We did. And he says, see what you did here. Uh, we, we want you to do the same in Cat Lake. 
can you help us? I said to them in the month of March, I said, well, listen, wherever I go, I'll tell people pray for Cat Lake. They said, well, you see, we have one church. It's Anglican, but there's only one service a month, and it's a half an hour in the language of Ojigree. So our younger kids uh, can kind of get, you know what I mean. It, that was what they were praying for. And so I said, wherever I go, I'll ask people to pray. And uh, so the overseer that was with me, George Gunner, he and I went about our other business. Wherever I went in southern Ontario, I said, please pray for Cat Lake. This is a community of over 500 people at that time. It's more now. We just pray that God will help them get a church. We need a pastor. We need a church. We need a miracle. <laughs> and so I visited in the summer. One of the people I visited is in the next slide. And he has a great name, Charlie Wesley. Charlie Wesley, what a great name. <laughs> you know some of the old hymns, right? Well, Charlie in that picture is 75 years of age. He doesn't have a gray hair in his head. I just like any hair, you know what I mean? Like that would be nice. Well, Charlie was from another community which was 80 miles by water called Slate Falls. And so <laughs> Charlie, who was a Christian, heard that this group of people wanted to have a church. So Charlie put his portable sawmill on his canoe, motorized canoe, up the rivers he came 80 miles and brought his sawmill there and they got to work. Charlie has an interesting story. A number of times we tried to work something out for Huntley Street so he could tell at least his testimony. Charlie was a teenager in the home and when Charlie was a teenager, he got saved. His dad was from a high church, and he had his, his own stuff he wore when he was the priest of that church. So Charlie got saved and born again. His, his father literally took him by the scuff of the neck and kicked him in the seat of the pants and says, get out of here with that born-again stuff. I don't want to see your face again until you get rid of it. A few months later, Charlie was out, probably a trap line or somewhere, he got, they got word to him that a few hours or so before his father had died. So Charlie makes his way back. Many hours after his father has died, he's laying on the moss with his religious outfit on. And Charlie's a new Christian. Charlie doesn't know any better but to pray for his dad. So he kneels down and he prays for his dad that in the name of Jesus, he'd give his dad another chance. And his father sprung to his feet. And he said, I was in hell. I was in hell. I was in hell. And he kneeled down and received Christ as his The backwoods of Ontario. Isn't that amazing? So here's Charlie, numbers of years later, serving God. And serving this community. So I think in the next picture, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so I got there in September. They had already started house meetings. They poured the footing. See the, the wood that's piled there? Well, that's Charlie and a couple of other people. All of them senior citizens. They said, we need this church for our community. And so I'm happy to say that 10 months later, the next picture is where we had a church. Isn't that amazing? 10 months later. And uh, next picture. Inside. Look at, isn't it nice inside? Cat Lake, beautiful church. And there's a couple, white couple there. While I'm in Cat Lake, I said, well, we've got a church. Uh, we need a pastor. You know how fast God can work? I mean, 10 months we have a church. And we have a little congregation that started to gather. 
And so we need a pastor. And I thought, I, I think I'll call this person down in, I forget where they were now, it's southern Ontario, somewhere around Brantford. Anyway, I called them up, and uh, Lori, the, the woman, it was a pastor, and Rel's her husband, Lazard, some of you might know them. But anyway, um, I said, would you like to come up here and uh, work with this church as the pastor and train that couple that you saw on the first slide to be the next pastor? And they said yes on the spot. You see how fast God can work? So now we've got <laughs> a congregation, we've got a pastor, and we've got a church, and we ha only have an $8,000 debt. That's all it cost us to get that building fixed up inside. Well, the women in Sioux Lookout had its retreat at the same time. It was January. They have a January, February. February, they have this retreat. They take up an offering, and the offering is over $8,000 paid for the church. In 12 months, hallelujah, we have a pastor, we have a church. Do you not think that God answers prayer? Their dreams came true. Who would have thought a year later they would have a pastor, a pastor in training, a congregation, a church building paid for? Well, that's God. Now, the next one, next story, is just sharing you four places that where dreams came true, North Spirit Lake. Now, Evan's here today. Some of you might know Evan. Evan's been to North Spirit Lake. When I got off the plane once in North Spirit Lake, here was Evan with his mud boots up to here, walking along with his youth group from Norwood. Or was it Richmond Hill then? I think it was Richmond Hill. Anyway, he was there. He's here with us today. And uh, North Spirit Lake, community without any church in Northern Ontario. I go back there every year as a special place in my heart. So I went to North Spirit Lake, and in the next picture, you'll see this lady. She was called the pastor. Julie was her name, Mawakisik. And Julie uh, was the pastor. She was pretty well blind. And uh, by pastor, I just meant she looked after this old building. And uh, she would wake up in the morning and say, is it Sunday? Are we having church today? Like, just that's the way she was. Because what she meant was, did a preacher come into town and did a preacher come to tell us about Jesus, or especially gospel singers? They go in there. And so that's the way it was. That was the only teaching they would get. The word got around, though, pretty good, that these people in North Spirit Lake are pretty nice people, and you can really take them for what they, you know, take them for money. So these so-called Christian groups or evangelists would come in just at payday time and tell the people how much they needed to give to their cause and they would take their money and leave and go back into Winnipeg and sleep around and get drunk or whatever. And so they said, we're, we're tired of being surprised and hurt by this. How can we trust you? So they came to me, and there was three of them, and George Gunner, and they said, would you help us start a church? I went to see the chief and council, and they said, we'll give you land. We'll give you all the heavy equipment that we have. We'll give you all the the gravel, crushed rock, or whatever, we'll give you $27,000. Could you help us build a church? The Catholics and the Mennonites had been there, done good work, but were now gone. There was no one in that community in northern Ontario without, without a church. And they just wanted a church where they could have a, a, a funeral, a proper funeral. In the next picture, uh, you'll see what the old church looked like. So I went there in January, February, first time, and I brought a couple of First Nation pastors with me, and in another picture I could show you, there was a First Nations pastor preaching like this, and one's interpreting, because they're going in English and in Ojibwe, 
So the, and, and below the guy that's preaching, there's this wet spot on the floor. Well, that's because the rain was coming through while he was preaching. So I guess it wasn't winter. <laughs> that was my first visit, getting my story straight here. So anyway, th that was the old church. So the, what they did in the old church was they, they had this, this building that was given to them, a former grocery store, former pool hall, and now it was not worth anything. So they had it as a church. The, the walls were slowly disintegrating, and the floor was like this. And when I went there with my wool pants on, and I, I sat on the second pew, if I let go of my elbow, I would slide down the pew. That's how bad the floor was. And so the chief and the, and, and the band council said, would you help us? Would you partner with us? Isn't that amazing? It's like Macedonia. Would you come and help us, right? And so I said to them, in the month of May that year, I said, would you just give me three years? I think I can raise $150,000, and if I get all these volunteer churches, I think we can do it. Do you know by November, without sending out a letter asking for money, I had $150,000? Isn't that incredible? Incredible. God, just St. Catharines and a men's retreat in Chesley Lake asked me while I was there, is there a project? And I think I got seven or 8000 from those two but the rest of the money just came from people giving, saying, we want to give to North Spirit Lake or we want to give to a project. Do you have one? God is good. I, I, I think, I think God wanted a church in North Spirit Lake. You, got, you can kind of get the idea that he did. And so next year we start building the church. And, and this was the old house that was also abandoned. They gave us that old truck that should have been abandoned. And uh, so they gave us whatever they could. And that became my headquarters for six weeks in the summer. So the first week we were there, we laid the foundation. And these are different church groups that come in. The second picture, the second week, third week, fourth week, fifth week. Isn't that amazing? Hallelujah. In five weeks, church is there. It's not finished on the inside. It's not hooked up to the water and the sewer, but it's there. And the next picture will show you the, the first group that came did all their work. They're from all over the place. You know, Lista Well and, and Kitchener and Barry and other places, just in that group. And in the next picture, I'll skip ahead. The inside is now completed. By then, the flooring's down. They're hooked up to the water and sewer, and it's all paid for. And the last group just put the walk, what do you call that, a ramp and everything up there. Isn't God good? Amazing, isn't he? God can do something. For years, people in that little community, place that you'd never heard of before, North Spirit Lake, Cat Lake, Deer Lake, Ontario, not Newfoundland, Deer Lake. Anyway, all those places never heard of before, God heard them, and God heard their prayers, and God answered their prayers. Amen. The last illustration of prayer working is Wenaman Lake. When I started working in 1999 with uh, First Nations, Wenaman Lake was a place where if you landed at the airport and you were met, and they said, what are you here for? I said, I'm going to have church. They would kick me off. Couldn't have a Bible study, couldn't have church. That's Wenaman Lake. At the time, they had a chief, and he's in the next picture. Simon is his name. His wife, Edith, was a graduate of Bible college in Moosonee, and she prayed and prayed and prayed for years. God, I want an evangelical church in my community. God, I want the gospel to be preached to Wenaman Lake. It's a wonderful people, wonderful place. But just that was her prayer for years. She prayed for her husband to get saved. Simon was a great man. Before he got saved, 
even greater after he got saved. He got saved in the late 90s after his one son committed suicide, which is, of course, another common thing that happens. Through that, he got saved. Now he's the chief. And uh, prior to this, I've got to watch my time here. Okay, do you usually finish here? 10 or 15 minutes for Pastor Bob time? <laughs> Just kidding. He told me, yeah, I run over a few times. <laughs> but that's what we shoot for, 45. Anyway, so I think I have time to tell you this. So anyway, the, uh, the, the people, the First Nations people love music. And they would allow a gospel jamboree, but they would not allow preaching and teaching. So what they did was they had a gospel jamboree, and they would have three people designated to give three 30-minute testimony. <laughs> That's how you get around it. <laughs> and that was okay, because they love music. Well, one of the times that they had a music group in, they said, we'd like to take this cable that we have, this cable equipment, and pipe it into all the homes. You go into their homes, and... And you know what? They have the 400 or plus channels that we do. But most of them have it focused on this one local channel. There's nothing going on there except there's a chair. And once in a while, somebody comes along and tries to sell some, some fresh meat or some fish or sell a dog or, in some communities, preach the gospel. But this one wouldn't be like that. Well, they put it into all the homes. We want to put the gospel jamboree. Our people like music. So they didn't come to the community center, some people. They stayed in their homes. And then so one home, this was another Huntley Street story they wanted to get. But anyway, uh, pardon me, Crossroads. No. So anyway, uh, they, they had it going into this one home, and there's a little girl watching the TV. She's five years old. She's five years old, and uh, she doesn't know how to read or write. And she's in front of the TV while this gospel jamboree is going on. Mom and Dad are doing other things in the home. And they come into the room, and there she is laying flat on her back in front of the TV. While this program is going on and the gospel songs are being sung. And they tried to wake her up. She's breathing quite calmly. Well, they were ready to phone the nurse's station. There are no doctors. There's nurses that are just as good as doctors up there. And anyway, they, they were ready to call. And the little five-year-old girl sat up. And she said, Mommy and Daddy, I have Jesus in my heart. Isn't that incredible? Jesus in my heart. Hallelujah. And then something even more incredible happened. This little girl who obviously cannot read began to quote Old Testament messianic promises word for word. Incredible. I don't know if she did it in King James or NIV or what she did, <laughs> but that's what they tell me. And it was like the globe of Moses was on her, <laughs> on her, like the globe on Moses, I should say. And over the days, those prophecies slowly just dissipated. And I used to say to my friends, you know, I think God wants to have a church there, and he's trying to get the people's attention to come down here to southern Ontario. And they say, why doesn't God do that here? I said, well, maybe God just wants to get the attention of the leadership in these communities so that they'll open up their hearts and doors to the gospel. So Simon is now the chief, and he goes to his council and says, I want to build a Pentecostal church <laughs> because his wife was Pentecostal. And they said, no. He said, yeah. So, well, let's try BCR, a council resolution. No, that didn't work. So Simon said, hmm, okay, I'm the chief. I'll build my own church. I'm the chief who's going to tell me not to. So in the next picture, we see what Simon did. He built this church on his house property. So he didn't get property given to him. He already had the property. So he built the church. Isn't it beautiful? It was no time at all that the church was filled. People were getting saved. Kids were 
saved. They had to have room. And so a couple of years later, at the tune of about $25,000 from a gift, we were able to send a team from Listowell in, and in six days, this is what it looked like. The building at the side is that for you. On the, right, on the left, that, that building is the old building, and then they put this addition on. Now, the inside's not done, but that's not bad for six days. I was there for the six days. I saw it happen, and praise be to God. They said people in the community came by while it was going up, and they were crying. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things, amen? And they said, this is what Jesus has done, hallelujah. How many years Edith prayed and wept for God to move. I'll just mention something quickly in the next slide. There's a couple of pictures of countries, Ghana and Brazil, places that I was privileged to visit a few, just two or three years ago before the pandemic. And uh, in those places, I discovered that God was moving. You know, the half of the people in Ghana, Africa, they, they confess to know Jesus. And half of them are spirit-filled, speaking in tongues. Isn't that amazing? Every fourth person. Sometimes tune in and listen to the born-again, spirit-filled Presbyterian president of that country. You'll think you're in church. He is amazing. And so we thank God. And, and when I visited these churches or when I went to their conferences, I found there's one common thread. These young men and women, primarily men, go to Bible school for over seven years so they can come out and wait another five or six years in order to be able to preach the gospel. But in each church, they're in to get $200 a month and a bicycle. That's what you get when you graduate finally to come out of Bible college anyway these guys and they go and plant a church they don't take over a church they plant a church this is Ghana and uh, so Ghana and each church no kidding the ones that I was at anyway the the three that I visited they had 24 hour prayer going on in those churches those that sow in tears will reap in joy not just for some it's just a principle, isn't it? Brazil, I found the exact same thing in Brazil. Just people praying 24-7, church growth, like just like popcorn. Because God is doing something in those countries. And the key is very, very straightforward. I mean, there's intercessory prayer that's going on. I appreciate this church's emphasis of prayer. Amen. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that people can call into this church and be prayed for. I appreciate the fact that there are people praying on Sunday morning and praying for God to move in our services, praying for God to bless us and to help us and to minister to us. Amen. So we go back to the psalm. We read the first half, and now here's the second half. And the psalmist said, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the desert, or Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Hey, there it is. Amen? Those that sow in tears will, not might or could or should, but will reap in joy. Hallelujah. And then it says that if you take the next verse, it's those who go out weeping. Imagine a farmer, and he has bags of grain that he could you know, grind up and make into flour to feed his family. 
Or he could have faith in the Lord of the harvest, the one who sends the early and the latter rain, and he could take that precious seed and sow it. So the farmer, the Jewish farmer, goes out and sows, weeping and saying as he's doing it, Oh God, if you don't come through, if you don't come through for me and my family, you don't come through for us, we're going to starve. And so they took the precious seed and they planted it in faith that the God who was the creator would send the early and the latter rain and they would see a harvest. And it says, he that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed will without a doubt come rejoicing, bringing sheaves with them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the principle in the word of God. I have an uncle who passed away a couple of years ago. Harvey is his name. Harvey was, I come from a, my dad comes from a huge family. Yours, mine, and ours. Grandma and Grandpa lost their first spouse, and then they married again, had 19 altogether, and they weren't Catholic. <laughs> they were just Irish immigrants. <laughs> anyway, my, uh, my uncle was the 18th of those 19 children. None of them go to church by this time. The original immigrants were Methodists, but by now they weren't going to church. The Quins were not churchgoers. The 18th born, Harvey, got saved. And uh, my dad, who was one of his brothers, told me this is what happened to him. He married this city girl, and she won't let him have any fun anymore. No drinking, no partying. I mean, that was his perspective. And so was the other brothers. But Harvey was a Christian, and he married a girl from Aurelia. That's not a city girl. She's kind of a city, but... And he married her after he was saved. Harvey worked in Aurelia, or lived in Aurelia, worked in Malton near the airport. And Harvey got in his car every morning. CFRB, did the Leafs win? They were winning back in those days of the 60s, by the way. And they won last night, but anyway, who knows? It's been a long time. Anyway, so my uncle hears an audible voice. He's never heard an audible voice in his life. He didn't hear one since. 1969, never heard one since. He turned on the radio and he heard an audible voice that said, turn off the radio and pray. So my uncle takes the radio, new Christian, always obey right away, right? Turn off, the no negotiating, no compromise. <clears throat> Turns it off. How do you pray when you're a new Christian? What do you pray for? The only thing that was upon his heart that he should pray for was his family because nobody was saved. So he started to pray for his oldest half-brother, his wife, and their kids made his way down through the line as he drove from Aurelia to Malton every day, five days a week, to go to work. So he tells me that sometime he would get so caught up in the Holy Spirit that he would not remember the drive. I'm sure he, you know what I mean. It's just how it works. He just felt that anyway. He says, sometimes I would get down to Toronto or Rexdale, uh, pardon me, Malton, Looked down at his shirt and it would be soaking wet with tears. Prayed for me. What was, who was I? I was just a teenage boy, son of an alcoholic father, following down the same road, just adding drugs to it. That's me. I'm doing that. All, not a number of my cousins. We're just far from God. My uncle is praying, 1969, praying, driving, until he moved to Toronto a couple of years, but he kept his intercessory prayer. When you would talk to my uncle, he would often well up in tears 
and he will quote Psalm 150, 26, verses 5 and 6. Those that sow in tears will reap in shame. Three years later, as he found and helped found a camp and give the property to Camp Kiryu, it's called, no longer Kiryu, but it was the camp of the Lord. That summer, four of my cousins got one of them just happened to be my best friend. I mean, we were partners in crime, basically. We we're troublemakers. And when I saw the change that was in him, that's what I want. I don't want to be following in the same path that my father has chosen. Oh, I love my father. It just, it just wasn't what I felt I could do. I could just get my life together. Right? And so that year, 72, January 73, or the fall, I moved to Toronto. And I think, I don't know where to go. I'm just a teenager, dropping out of high school, grade 13 and half of 12, because I never went to class in grade 12, you know. I go phone up this uncle. I don't know who he is hardly. I say, can I stay with you? <laughs> Guess which uncle it is. <laughs> the guy who's been praying for me. <laughs> so I get go in there. I hear the gospel. Jesus loves me. Jesus died for me. Jesus wants to come into my life for the first time in my life. I heard it, at least with ears that could hear. Anyway, long story short, I got saved January the 19th, 1973. Friday night, hallelujah. Oh, of course, I wanted to tell the world, and I did as best I could. told everybody started to pray like my uncle did. I wept for my family. I wept for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Honestly, I did. Because <laughs> they, they were my idol, you know. I prayed and I wept for people and things that you would just be surprised. But I had a burden for lost souls. I began to pray. And my brother, my uncle, my other uncle got saved. And my aunt got saved. My sister got saved. brother got saved. More cousins got saved. Relatives. Last year, if I was to tell you this story, I'd say today, there's more than 80 of us saved. The Quinn family. Boy, that hunt camp sure changed. <laughs> Used to be, let's go, let's drink, do a little bit of hunting. <laughs> Oh, now it's a few years after I got saved. We're getting together. We're praying. We're reading the Bible. Then we're going hunting. <laughs> and we're not drinking beer for sure. Things changed for the Quins. Last summer, I went to a funeral just outside of Ottawa for another cousin that I'd heard became a believer. And I met at least 20 people that are born again from his family. A hundred people from one person who interceded and prayed and believed that God could do something special. What dreams do you have for your family, for your own personal life, for Word and for Gospel Assembly? Psalm 126 says, They that sow in tears will reap in joy. He that goes forth weeping, bearing precious seed. The Word of God will doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The sheaves are coming, folks. I believe the harvest is coming. The world is
bewildered. The world, world is off balance. The world doesn't know who to trust. This generation doesn't know who to trust. But we can trust the rock of ages. We can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. We can trust that he will be able to meet the need of 2023. Amen. He is a God who is alive. He's the God who was here yesterday and will be here tomorrow. But he's here today and he's here to do something special. Amen. And I'm glad he's brought me here. I hope that something I say while I'm preaching will touch your hearts over the next few weeks or months. And then Jesus will come and bless us. Amen. I'll ask the worship team to come as they're coming. You're saying, well, that's good for your uncle. <laughs> that's good for people that are in captivity. I'm not so sure about us. The Bible says this is the, in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have in him. That if we, <laughs> that if we, if we ask anything according to his will, do you think it's God's will that people be saved? then we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know we have the petitions. So let's press in in 2023. Let's pray for our families like we never prayed for them before. Let's pray for this church, this community, for our country, for our, our, for our, our politicians like we've never prayed before. Let's believe God wants to send a revival to Canada, a renewal to our hearts and into our lives. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3 says let's not grow weary in doing well for in due season if we do not faint we shall reap hallelujah we believe that God wants to help us reap in this final slide I just say may God bless word and full gospel assembly in 2023 and may his dreams come true for all of us why don't we stand together as the worship team comes hallelujah and uh, we're going to sing this song. If you would like to come to the front because you need prayer, then please come. Those that help with prayer, please come as well. And also, not just that, maybe you just want to come and recommit yourself to pray, prayer. So you could come too. We just pray for you. God bless you. And I'll just let the worship team continue. If you have to leave at uh, this time, may God bless you. Hope to see you next week. And uh, I'll let you continue on and close.